As we head into the fall months, I felt it important to do some teaching about the two fundamental God-given ordinances of the church, communion and baptism, often referred to as the sacraments by some churches and theologians. This word, although it is not a biblical term, is still accurate in its definition. You see that there in your notes. A religious ceremony or act of the Christian church that is regarded as an outward sign and visible sign of inward and spiritual divine grace in particular. And truly both communion and baptism are an outward and visible sign of inward and spiritual divine grace. God commanded and ordained that these two practices be observed in the church from the very beginning. And so in obedience, we do so here at Springville Naz. Communion and baptism. Last Sunday we focused on understanding communion. Today we will center on understanding baptism. Understanding baptism, let's just take a fresh look at this fundamental biblical truth about baptism. Watch this with me. seems to me that some of the greatest confusion and misunderstanding among Christians down through the centuries has centered around the subject of baptism. There have been debates and sadly even divisions in the church because of differing opinions over such questions as what is the purpose of baptism? Who should be baptized? Does it make any difference how someone is baptized? What about infant baptism? Baptism. How important is baptism, really? And on and on we could go with questions about baptism. Now I think it's important for us to understand that this confusion and misunderstanding about baptism is not something that's new to us. As a matter of fact, questions concerning baptism have been around since the church began. For instance, in Acts 18, we're introduced to a man named Apollos. In verses 25 and 26, we read, He was a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the Scriptures. He was well-educated in the way of the Master and fiery in his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point, but he only went as far as the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. In the very next chapter, Acts 19, the Apostle Paul ran across some believers in Ephesus and asked them in verses 3 through 5, What kind of baptism did you have? 
They said it was the baptism that John taught. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of changed hearts and lives. He told people to believe in the one who would come after him, and that one is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's take a closer look at what the Bible teaches about baptism. I want us, like Apollos, to understand the rest of the story. I want us, like the believers in Ephesus, to be baptized, learn what it means to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want us to take a fresh look at what the Bible, not man-made creeds or church traditions or human opinion, but what the Bible has to say about baptism. Now having said that, Let's begin by looking at Romans 6, verses 1 through 8. I asked you to turn there earlier. Follow along now in your Bible as I read. Pick it up with verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. With this text as our backdrop, Please take note of these six things that the Bible teaches about baptism, beginning with the who. I often get asked the question, who should be baptized? Well, basically, did you know that the Bible clearly teaches that every follower of Jesus Christ should be baptized? The Great Commission, Jesus' marching orders for the church, instructs us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus put it this way in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to all people. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. On the day of Pentecost, look at what the Apostle Peter told the people who heard the good news about Jesus for the very first time. He said, Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. You see, Jesus commanded in every early church practice the baptism of each and every person who became a disciple. It was not an option. It was considered to be a requirement for every believer. I challenge you to check it out, in fact. There are only eight examples of conversion in the book of Acts. The only historical, biblical illustrations of people being saved. And in all eight of those examples, the new believers were baptized upon placing their faith in Christ. Why? Because that's God's plan. Baptism is a mandate. This is the who of baptism. Each and every believer should be baptized. That brings us to the how. (laughs) Another question I'm often asked is, how 
Should I be baptized? In other words, what is the God-given scriptural design? What form or mode should baptism take? Or does it really make any difference? Well, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the method of baptism should be immersion. Pam? Please hear me out on this. Well, the very word baptize comes directly from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, plunge, submerge, or immerse. There isn't an honest Greek scholar anywhere who will deny this distinct meaning. There were other words for sprinkling, rantizo, or pouring, keo, and even a general all-purpose word for all three methods, hudreno. But in every case in the Bible, it is always baptizo, immerse. That is used. Besides that, we have actual examples in the New Testament to show that baptism was by immersion. I wish I had the time to look at all of these, but let me just mention one right here. John 3 verse 23 tells us that John the Baptist had to move the place where he was baptizing to a place that had, quote, much water. Think about that for a moment. It only takes a little water to sprinkle or to pour, but it takes much water to be able to immerse. And then there is today's text, Romans chapter 6. Paul describes baptism as a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Read Romans 6 and verse 4 out loud with me. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Don't miss those words. Buried. Death, raised. Obviously, only immersion, not sprinkling or pouring, depicts a a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Now, if the Bible clearly teaches that the method of baptism is by immersion, then how come so many churches today practice sprinkling or pouring? Well, the answer lies in church history. In 753 A.D., Pope Stephen II ruled that in cases of necessity only, the sick or invalid could be sprinkled instead of immersed. In 1311 A.D., the Roman Catholic Council at Ravenna voted to legalize sprinkling or pouring as a substitute for immersion at all cases. Then in the 16th century, the Reformation movement, those Protestants who pulled away from the Catholic Church, ended up taking many of the Roman Catholic traditions with them, and one was the sprinkling or pouring as a form of baptism. And yet, listen to what some of the best-known Protestant leaders themselves said. John Calvin said the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the primitive church. Martin Luther, baptism is a Greek word and may be translated immerse. I would have those who are baptized to be altogether dipped. John Wesley, buried with him by baptism, alluding to the ancient matter of baptism by immersion. And I could go on. But just understand that for over 1,300 years, The universally recognized method of baptism was immersion. And so the question that I must ask is, who has the authority to change what the Bible clearly teaches? 
Do you and I have that authority? No. Does a church council have that authority? No. Can we get together and vote on it? No. The Bible teaches that the how of baptism is clearly to be by immersion. Let us not tamper with what God has said in His Word. Which brings us to the where. I call your attention to those three words in Romans 6 and verse 4 once again. Buried, death, raised. Similar words are used throughout the first eight verses of Romans 6. Dead, crucified, died, resurrection, new life. Here's the point. Water baptism, immersion, points to the where or is a model of the death, burial, and resurrection. Whose death, burial, and resurrection? Well, the answer is twofold. First, it is a model of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Every time that someone is baptized, he or she is picturing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism literally illustrates the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Second, it is a model of the believer's death, burial, and resurrection. When we are baptized, we are picturing our own death to our old nature, our old sinful nature. Our immersion in water symbolizes that that old sinful nature now is buried and our rising out of the water models our resurrection to a new life. Baptism literally illustrates being born again. That's the where or the model of our baptism. That brings us to the when. Yet another question that I'm often asked is when should I be baptized? At what point is a person ready to take this step of faith in obedience to Jesus' mandate? Well, again, in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Who's the them? The disciples. Simply put, the person who is ready to be baptized is the person who has decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. So how do we know then if a person is in fact a disciple? This commitment begins with at least these three steps. First, has the person believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Once again, Mark 16 and verse 16 tells us, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And so the first step in becoming a disciple is to believe, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and fully trust that He alone can save you. Second, has the person repented of his or her personal Sin, as we read earlier, Acts 2 verse 38 tells us, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized. This turning from sin and turning to God is called repentance. It's a change of heart, mind, will, and direction in life. And so the second step in becoming a disciple is to repent, to admit and renounce our sin. Third, has the person confessed his or her faith in Jesus Christ publicly? Let's read Romans 10 and verses 9 and 10 out loud together. Would you read this with me? If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from death, you will be saved. For it is by faith that we are put right with God. It is by our confession that we are saved. And so the third step 
in becoming a disciple is to confess, to publicly announce and declare our faith in Jesus Christ before God, the church, the world, and even the enemy, Satan. Now, once a person has become a disciple, he or she believes, repents, and confesses, the moment then for their baptism has arrived. I believe the Bible teaches that there should be, in fact, no hesitation at this point. The arrangements for baptism should be made immediately. We've kind of gotten away from that a bit in the church. We kind of have separated the time at which someone comes to Christ and their baptism. Oftentimes there's a big gap between their two. And if you read the Bible very clearly in the book of Acts, you'll see there's no gap at all. Almost every time, baptism followed immediately. I think we need to re-examine that and think about it. Now let me say just a word here for a moment about infant baptism because I haven't exactly addressed that. What do we do about someone wanting to baptize their young child? A couple of things that I would say about that. First of all, um, we have to ask the question, so is the young child, using the when, is the young child, has the young child, first of all, acknowledged Jesus Christ, believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord? Has the young child repented of his or her personal sin? And has the child then confessed publicly with his or her mouth that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior? And the answer to those questions is, well, no, not really. Which moves us into a whole other territory. That is the practice of what we call a parent-child dedication. What we attempt to do here at Springville Church of the Nazarene is acknowledge that there is in the Bible, a very clear understanding of the dedication of a child to the Lord. And so we encourage parents with their young children to actually dedicate their children to the Lord. And we have a a ceremony that we will actually go through. Uh, That is a, a child dedication ceremony. We do not baptize the child at that point, although I suppose if a couple asked for that, we could consider that. But I I just don't think baptism is really what that child needs. This is really more, hear me out, this is really more a commitment on the part of the parents for them to raise their child in the ways of the Lord so that when their child reaches an age of accountability and understanding, he or she can make his or her own decision about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I would say to somebody whose child has been baptized, when that child gets older, if that child was sprinkled or poured most likely when they were younger, I would say that child needs to be baptized. I would say that child who has now grown up to be an older child or a young adult or an adult in a later years even, maybe that's somebody that's here this morning who you were baptized as an infant by your parents who made that decision for you. Now you need to make that decision for yourself. Now you need to come to that place in your own life where you decide to follow Jesus in Christian baptism. And you would do so by making that commitment. It's not too late. (laughs) Even though maybe you made a commitment to Christ at a, a very early age, if you've never been... Immerse, you've never followed water baptism, this whole plan that God has uh, as we're talking about it this morning. That's something you can do. Something you can choose to do now as 
and adults. So that's kind of where we are on the infant baptism piece. Which leads us to the why. The why. Perhaps this is the question that I get asked the most often out of all of them. The why should I be baptized? I've actually had people say, so what difference does it really make anyway? Whether I am or I'm not. Well, I'm going to make a statement that sometimes causes people to squirm a little bit. Although the act of baptism itself does not save us, if someone refuses to be baptized, it is doubtful if that person actually is saved. Let me say that again. Although the act of baptism itself does not save us, if someone refuses to be baptized, it is doubtful that person actually is saved. Now, I realize that's a pretty strong statement. So what leads me to say that? Because to say we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and then to willfully and knowingly refuse to obey Him as our Lord, indicates that we really don't have saving faith at all. Several times, for instance, in James chapter 2, verse 17, 22, 24, 27, James points out that faith that is all by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is in fact dead. It is useless. It is worthless, James says. It's not really saving faith at all. Just to say you have faith and then refuse to obey. That brings us back to motive. Why should a person be baptized? The answer is found in Jesus' own word in John 14 and verse 15. We need to read this verse out loud together. Would you read it with me? If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. You see, the why, the motive for being baptized is our obedience, which springs forth from our love for Jesus. Our obedience that springs forth from our love for Jesus. Now, Christian scholars have debated the question, is it necessary for me to be baptized for far too many centuries? Because I believe that that is the wrong question. (laughs) The right question is, how much do I love Jesus? That's the question. If we truly love Jesus... If I've truly surrendered my life to Him as the Savior and Lord of my life, then I will do anything and everything that He commands me to do, and that includes baptism. I will not knowingly and willfully not do something He has asked me to do. In the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 8, verses 26 through 40, after Philip had told him the good news about Jesus, the nobleman responded with the question, why shouldn't I be baptized? Folks, that's the right question. It's not why should I be baptized. The question is, why shouldn't I be baptized? If a person really has saving faith, that faith willingly responds in loving obedience. That's the why. That's the motive for baptism. It's all about love. Do I love Jesus? And if I do, I will do what He asked me to do. Which brings us to the what. There's one more question we should answer this morning. What does baptism say? 
When a person is baptized, he or she is making a declaration. He or she is sending a clear message to God, to the church, to the world, and even to the enemy, Satan. And in that message, the one who is being baptized is saying, I believe, at least these five things. Number one, I have a clear conscience before God. I have a clear conscience before God. 1 Peter 3, verse 21, we read, The waters of baptism do that for you, not by washing away dirt from your skin, but by presenting you before God with a clear conscience. See, the moment that someone is baptized, it becomes a marker, if you will, a definable moment in time to which a person can always look back. Whenever someone asks when he or she became a disciple, he or she can point back to that marker with confidence. And whenever the enemy, Satan, casts doubt in a person's conversion, this marker can be appealed to with a clear conscience before God. Secondly, I think it says, I have received forgiveness of sin. I have received the forgiveness of sin. Look at Acts 22 verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash away your sins. I mean, whatever else baptism, immersion symbolizes, certainly water in and of itself demonstrates a cleansing. We understand that. A washing away, if you will, of our old nature. It is a purifying act. Third, The person is saying, I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, we are saying, I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 explains it this way. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit being the Holy Spirit Himself. I like to put it this way. When we give ourselves to Jesus, He gives Himself to us. In the form of the Holy Spirit, who comes into our hearts and lives in us to dwell in us as our guide, counselor, comforter, and advocate. A person who is baptized is acknowledging or affirming the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in his or her life. Next, the person is saying, I have a new Christ-like nature. I have a new Christ-like nature. Let's read Galatians 3 and verse 27 out loud together. Would you read this with me? You were baptized into union with Christ, and now you are clothed, so to speak, with the life of Christ Himself. We put on Christ. In fact, it tells us that the, in the Bible that we have actually been covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's like putting on a new garment. A person who is baptized is declaring that he or she has become a new creation in Christ. And then finally, when we are baptized, we are saying, I have the promise of eternal life. I have the promise of eternal life. In today's text, Romans 6 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. And he's talking here about eternal resurrection life. A life that begins the very moment that we make a decision to become a Christ follower, so demonstrated then by our baptism. That's the what. The message of baptism. That's what we declare. Every time someone is baptized, they make those declarations. 
Understanding baptism. So what does the Bible, God's Word, teach us about baptism? In today's lesson, we have discovered the who that is commanded that each and every believer should be baptized. The how, that the true biblical mode or form of baptism is immersion in water. The where, that when we are baptized, we are modeling the death, burial, and resurrection of both Jesus and of ourselves, our own lives. The when, that once a person commits to being a disciple, he or she believes, repents, and confesses, then he or she should be baptized without hesitation. The why, that our choice to be baptized is one of obedience that springs forth from our love. For Jesus Christ. And the what? That when we are baptized, we're making a very clear statement, a definitive declaration to God, the church, the world, and the enemy. And so we come to Commitment Sunday. I want to talk with you a little bit about that for a moment. During our 1045 service on Sunday, October the 7th, we are going to make that a commitment Sunday. And one of the commitments that we will be centered upon will be baptism on that morning. In fact, we are hoping to have an actual baptism tank right here on our stage that day. And anyone who wants to be baptized is going to be encouraged to do so on that Sunday morning. So I want you to look in your bulletin and would you take out this little piece of paper that says, yes, I want to be baptized on Sunday, October the seventh. Now, I realize that this probably does not apply to most of us who are here today, but there are some to whom this response form will apply. Let me walk you through it for just a moment. Here's my response to baptism. Please check one. The first box is, I'm just now coming to believe in Jesus, and I want to demonstrate my commitment and love for Him through water baptism. Maybe you're coming to Jesus Christ for the very first time. You have never really crossed that line of faith. You have never really said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I want to make that commitment, and in making that commitment, I also want to be baptized as a part of that commitment. Well, if that's where you are in your relationship with Christ, that would be the box that you would check this morning. The second box is, I believed in Jesus for some time, but I've never been baptized. And this is a command I now I know I need to be, obey out of my love for Jesus. Maybe you've never been baptized. And, and this is new to you. You're going, wow, I didn't realize I needed to do this. I came to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord years ago, but I've never followed Him in obedience. And because of my love for Him, I want to do that now. I want to do what He's asked me to do. So maybe that second box is you, and you need to check that box. And you're saying, yeah, I've I got to do this. This is something because of my love for Jesus. I've just got to do. And then the third box I received sprinkling and pouring earlier in my life, maybe as a baby, maybe as a young adult, whatever it may be. And now I need to make this commitment to be immersed because I love Jesus. You understand now that the Bible asks us to be immersed. It is a portrayal of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Himself. It's a de death, burial, and resurrection of our own life. That's, that's what baptism is meant to illustrate. And, and so you're ready now to follow through with this commitment to be immersed in water. And that's something you've not done. And so, so you're saying, okay, well, that applies to me. I need to make that commitment. And then finally, the fourth box. When I was baptized, so you were baptized sometime in the past, maybe even immersed, I didn't fully understand the significance at the time, and now I'm wanting to make a fully informed commitment out of my love for Jesus. I find, actually, this applies to more people than you believe. Let me share my own testimony. I was raised in church. I was 
baptized, if you will, when I was 12 years old. Why? Because everybody was doing it. (laughs) All the kids around me, my friends, were being baptized and they were looking at me and saying, Mark, aren't you going to do this? I mean, your dad's one of the leaders in the church. Oh, yeah, well, that's expected of me. So, yes, I did it. And I'm not saying I didn't understand a bit about it. I went through a class, yes. I met with the preacher, yes. And I was baptized on a Sunday morning in a church in Santa Rosa. But I didn't really know what I was doing. I only did it because of peer pressure. i got to be honest with you. When I was 16 years old, a friend of mine, his name is Craig, very good friend, my best friend in high school, came to school on Monday morning during our sophomore year of high school and he said, you'll never guess what happened to me over the weekend. And he shared his testimony about coming to Christ and giving his heart and life to Jesus and he was baptized. And he looked at me and he said, Mark, you should do that. I went, I'm the guy that should have been telling him that. I'm the guy that was living the lie at that time. I'm the guy that was trying to fit in with all my friends around me. I was the jock on the, on the football and the baseball and the basketball team, you know. I was the guy that was trying to be cool and fit in with all these guys and, yeah, going to the parties and all that kind of stuff. And yet I went to church every Sunday. And Craig's life radically changed in front of me. That was on a Monday. That Friday... I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And Craig baptized me in Pewter Creek in Davis. And from that moment, it has never been the same. And so when people ask me, Mark, when we were baptized, I'll tell them that's when I was baptized. I was 16 years old in Pewter Creek in Davis. Let me tell you the story. I just did you. And I tell you that story because I want you to understand that this fourth box may be exactly where you are. You were baptized at one time in your life, but you really did not fully understand what it was you were doing. And and now you're saying, I need to do this with full knowledge and full understanding, and, and I'm ready to make this commitment. I'm ready to make this right with my Lord and my Savior. And so that's a form. You can check one of those boxes. If one of those applies to you, I encourage you to check that box right now. Would you do that? And then I want you to sign this form. And I want you to fill out the rest of the information that's there below that. And while you're taking the time to do that right now, I'm serious, this is a very serious moment. I I want people to make this commitment right now. I'm calling you to this commitment that you know in your heart you need to make. And while you're checking the box and filling this out, let's watch this video together.
back to Commitment Sunday for just a moment. There are other commitments that we're going to be calling people to make on that day. Uh, we've already talked about the commitment of salvation. We're going to be asking people who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, would that be the day that they would make that commitment? And we hope that they would at the same time say, yeah, I want to be baptized as a part of that commitment. Rededication. We're going to call people to make a rededication of their lives on that commitment Sunday. Maybe prodigals who need to come home to the Father. Maybe someone who needs to surrender his or her life to Jesus Christ in a fresh new way, who knows that there's been a, uh, a sin that they have been in bondage to, uh, chains that need to be broken, addictions and, 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 and uh, habits that need to be broken, they need to be set free. And that will be a, a marker, a Sunday, where, where we're going to ask people, just, just let it go. <laughs> just let it go. Let this be the day that is a marker in your life for the rest of your life. To walk in entire sanctification before the Lord. And then we're going to be asking people to make partnership covenants. We call it partnership, not membership here. And you'll notice in your bulletin, there's another little flyer. Would you take it out for just a moment? About partnership. And we're going to be calling people to step up to become members, if you will, here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. You'll notice on this little piece of paper it says, Having been saved from my sins through faith in Jesus Christ, I desire to partner with the family of believers at Springville Church of the Nazarene. There's a box for you to check. I've studied the who we are, our story, our statements, our strategy, and our steps, and agree to support this local church with my resources, my time, talents, and treasure. Now, we make it pretty easy, quite honestly, for somebody to become a partner or a member here at Springville Naz. All we ask is that you make an informed decision. And so back there on the table, Dennis, point right there. He's pointing to it right now. Back on the back table as you leave today, if you're not a partner and you're interested in partnership, this is a decision that you've been putting off and maybe need to make at this point in time. You want to become a member here. Uh, pick up this little handout. I, I put it together just for this special occasion, just so that you can read through it. It talks about who we are, our story, our statements, and um, it talks about just kind of where we're going as a church and the steps that you can take to uh, become a, a partner, all of which after you've read that, you can check that box and then you can sign this and you can fill out the rest of it and you can turn it in on or before October the 7th, okay? And you can declare your desire to commit to become a partner here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. That's all I'll say about that one right now. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the Sundays that are yet to come. I want to pray to seal these commitments. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, as we come before you this morning, and we look forward to this special Sunday on the 7th of October when we will be receiving these commitments, I first and foremost pray for any person here listening to this message this morning who needs to make this commitment of baptism. Help them to be unafraid. Give them the courage that they need to step up and to declare, yes, yes, I want to be baptized. Yes, I want 
to make this commitment. Yes, I know I need to do this. And that they would fill out this form and they would turn it in. And we would make preparations then for a very special day on that day for their baptism. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts and lives of people? Move among us right now. That out of love for you, we would be obedient. Thank you for this lesson this morning that we could learn more about baptism. These questions that we ask. Help us, Lord, to take this to heart. Just affirm this truth in our lives today, we pray. In the magnificent and wonderful and powerful name of Jesus, the only name that can save us, we pray. Amen.